Welcome to the Cook Collective Podcast. I'm Brandon Cook, and here along with my cousin Adam, we're here to speak about our life experiences and growth through plant medicines, meditation, exercise, diet, and how it all plays a vital role in our relationships and everyday lives. Today, we have a wonderful guest on the podcast. His name is Abraham Sanchez. We call him Abe for short. He is here uh, talking about the importance of native foods and uh, why we should be eating them. And especially living here in Southern California, there's an abundance of different types of native foods. And he also, we go into a lot of really cool native traditions, such as basket weaving and foraging types of animals that they would eat, et cetera. I think you guys are really going to enjoy this one. Also, too, we would like to say if you're enjoying this podcast or any of them, please pass them on. We're getting so many good reviews from people and messages on social media, and we really want to thank you guys for that. We also would like to let you know that you can go to our website at cookcollective.com. We have a bunch of great new apparel coming out. A lot of cool psilocybin-inspired, meditation-inspired stuff. And our blog, we are working on getting a bunch more info up on there as we build our staff and we build this this podcast. And uh, Brandon's band is called The Blood Moon Howlers. They have a new single out right now called... At The Barrel 33. It's a good one. Get in there. Check it out. They have a new live performance up on YouTube, live from Sunset Sound. That's... uh worth a, a view and a listen to get to sure. see one of the most famous uh, recording studios here in Hollywood. And you can follow Brandon on Instagram at funknastycook, and you can follow me on Instagram, TikTok, and a couple other things at Adam T. Cook, C-O-O-K-E. Enjoy this one, guys. You're going to want to uh, take, take some notes here because there's some really cool stuff, really cool foods all around us that we could and be enjoying and could be benefiting our health, but uh, we're just not doing it. So yeah. enjoy. Let's dive in. Abe is here today to talk about indigenous foods. And we're here in Southern California, and he's a Southern California native, just like we are. And he knows about all types of amazing indigenous foods that are forgotten about. And some stuff that can be really beneficial for us. And, you know, I'm a big believer in eating for the season and eating for your climate, et cetera. And uh, Abe, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your organization? Well, I'm a member of the Giacove Collective. It's a collective of about 11 of us, um, one who just passed, Barbara Drake, who just passed recently. But um, what we've done, again, we're just regular individuals. We're not any um, form of organization or anything like that. Mm-hmm. We just kind of preached the word and got involved in the importance of revitalizing Native foods among Native American communities. And again, trying to bring these foods back. It's been a movement that's been going on for a number of years already here in the Southwest. Um, But yet here in California, kind of new to us. And again, just bringing that whole revital about foods, bringing it back into Native communities. 
We do consult with different tribes around Southern California on reviving foods like the acorn, um, mesquite, and other foods available in the in the land here in Southern kind of uh, Southern California area. And kind of I over the years that I've kind of ran into, we've kind of learned is not only does this going to be benefit Native Americans, but also I think just the world in general. There has been a lot of research about some of these foods on how we need to start looking at them as these f sustainable food sources available today. Um, you know, especially in California with water being an issue, water shortages. Um, we here already live in this great Mediterranean climate where you can pretty much grow anything. And a lot of foods already are here within our area. Um, you know, like, for example, um, acorn or nopales um, would be two examples of foods that are here in this area. Some of the things I like to cover, it's not only that, is that, you know, even though you have these foods and they might be in some of these forests and so forth nearby, but we also be want to be concerned on how we could sustainably gather these foods without over-harvesting, because that is an issue, the concern that we may have, uh, where you can gather acorns, again, many species. We do have a lot of non-native and native species here that have been brought in as ornamentals. But all, for example, all acorns are edible. Hmm. As you know that they plant them here in the city as ornamental plants. Some of you might have been driving by different places and you're going to see, right, especially right now when the wind's sent in and wind's going to knock mm -hmm. all the acorns, you're going to be driving all of these acorns, right? Well, it's sad because those foods, that is, that's a food substance. That, you know, that's, they're edible. Can you, can, can you eat them raw? No, no. There's a, that, okay, so this is kind of the advantage and disadvantage. So some of the things we're running into, for example, like acorn, is that acorn, like I said, did sustain Native Americans. It wasn't the only food source, seeds, food source. There was many, many seeds that were eaten here in Southern California and throughout the Southwest by Native people. But for some reason, acorn gets most of attention that they thought, that they say that it was one of the food sources. It was one of many seeds. Um, there's a process with acorn. Um, like I said, it's, doing, it's right now in the fall. It's usually when you gather it. Um, it needs to be dried at least for stored, at least for about a year oh, wow. so when it's nice and dry. Once the acorn has been dried, you crack the shell out, and then there's another little shell like a peanut that kind of, that's in, you know, like peanuts have that little, and when you crack a shell, a peanut has yeah. a little shell in it. Yeah. You need to remove that. What you're trying to get rid of, what you're trying to leach out is the tannin. Um, acorns are high in tannins, okay, oh. and that, that bitter flavor. So what the natives would do is they would get the acorns once they were dry, and then they would pulverize it, okay? So they would grind it into a flour. Mm. Once it's been grounded into a flour, then it was leached. So what they would do traditionally here in California is they would go to, like, creek beds, river beds, whatever, and they would make these little sand bowls out of sand on yeah. the creek. They would lay them with, like, um, uh, you know, leaves, different things, so, it wouldn't, so the flour wouldn't touch the sand, then they would put the sand in this in this little sand bowl, and then they would put water in it, and then that would leach out the tannins. You taste it as you go. The tannins would be the bitter flavor out of it okay, that you're going to wash out. Once that was taken, once that was done, you'd remove it, and then what they would cook here in California, Southern California, because remember, they didn't have pots and pans here. They would cook it in a basket. 
So they would have these baskets that they would weave. They would put the acorn mush in there with water, and then they would have these volcanic lava rocks that they would heat up, take them out, and then drop them into these baskets, and then cook it that way with hot stones. Okay. What is what is tannin? Tannin is um, just the bitter flavor the the that comes out of the the the, the acorn. Um, it's just uh, I guess the the chemical. Bitter you hear that action. terminology a lot with wine. Yeah. Yeah, like the, the tannins in the yeah. wine for like how dark or like yeah. the you know the kind of the boldness of the grape. I mm. want to say something like that. Yeah. So in, in acorn, it's pretty much what you're trying to remove is the bitterness. So okay. as you taste it, as you wash it, as you because you'll have even though you have it in that sample, you're going to continue to add water over and over. It can be up to 15, 16 times, and let the water drain. Okay, and then that way, and then you taste it as you go. Right. But what I just kind of describe is sort of more the traditional old way and how it was done. Yeah. But us today, because we know people don't have the time and so forth to do these things and don't, don't live next to a creek, whatever, there are ways to do it at home. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what Chia Cafe Collective is doing now because we kind of want people, we're trying to get people to use these foods, you know, learn how to utilize them. So you can actually do that at home in a colander with a little cheesecloth. You know, you can put it in there, your acorn flour, and get it in there. The thing about acorn is, well, there's a lot of benefits to acorn because acorn is actually a low glycemic food. Okay. It has a lot of nutrients and it's, it's, it's a very good food source for us. And it's an abundance of it already here. Of course, like I was saying earlier, even in cities, because it's planted as an ornamental, right? So all acorns are edible. There are some in danger that we're concerned about that you have to be concerned but most, most all acorns available, for example, like here in the city, we would have the live oak that you've probably seen as a little yellow one, that, you know, that mm-hmm. one. They all, they all vary in flavor depending on the tannin. Some have more tannin than others. So, and each acorn does have a little different flavor. It is an acquired taste. Um, it was a staple as for Native Americans here in, the, in California as a food source. Kind of like the, the way you would eat breads, tortillas, they would eat acorn that would accompany you know, your meats and so and food and so forth, whatever. Mm. So it's kind of a filler. Yeah, um, it does have its distinctive flavor, um, and that's just our thing today that we've kind of run into is that even though you get people to eat the acorn, I guess it is an acquired flavor, and we ran into today's people's taste buds have changed. You know, yeah. from 100 years salt ago. And sugar. Exactly. If it doesn't <laughs> have salt, sugar, fat, white Butter, flour, yeah. you know, I'm sure it if you roast it in honey and put sesame yeah. seeds on it and yeah. all that kind of stuff, yeah, right. it yeah. <laughs> But we want to eliminate, you know, so so where we're so what we what what we decided to do in trying to reintroduce these foods to native people again or those and bring this attention is that how we can kind of um, mix them with other foods. Like, let's say you can make a tortilla, like a flour tortilla. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, acorn is gluten-free, so it doesn't stick. But you can add it as an additive to your tortilla mix, okay, to roll out your tortillas. You can add it in your stew, the flour. Once mm-hmm. it's been leached, you can add it to your stews. You can add it to um, your, your baking and so forth. Acorn is good in that sense, like I said. So it, it's an abundant food source here available to us like it's a very nutritional but then again um the flavor there is kind of a little again it's it like i say you need to acquire a taste to it what do you know what what are the vitamins in acorn or what is um, 
I can't off the top of my head. I know, like I said, I know it's low glycemic. It does have your good fats, like a good nut. Um, um, I don't know off the top of my head yeah, right I mean, at the moment, right now, the vitamins, and I should know that. But um, I know that it, it is a it's a it's a good food source. Yeah. When I was a kid, I grew up in the mountains. I grew up in in Big Bear, so my mom and I would like collect acorns. But I, I'm trying to think the way we used to prepare them. I think we used to boil them. That's how I'd do it. And again, I, I didn't like the taste as a kid because yeah. I wasn't used to it, you know. But it's been so long since I've had anything acorn related. But I think the way yeah, I want to say that we used to boil it after getting them. Yeah. Is well, that... you can soak them too once you crack oh, yeah. them up, whatever. Yeah. You can soak them and then dump the water out and dump the water oh, out. Maybe do a few yeah. times that's after you would do it. So not necessarily you would. You don't want to boil them. Yeah. Okay. Maybe it was just, I remember water. Yeah. You, so, you had to soak them and stuff, whatever. But one of the reasons why I want to talk about acorn is because this, and I'll talk about other food sources because these are food sources of the future. These are foods well, that we need to here. start looking into. You know, in this area. Yeah. But the thing, like I was saying earlier, too, that we we need to consider and look into, or we've ran into, we've discovered, is that, you know, it's getting people to eat these foods. I mean, we've all kind of grown up about this is healthy, eat this. But again, the big question was we ran into, well, then how do you how do you eat it? Mm-hmm. We started when we started doing um, working on the reservation, so forth, and reintroducing these foods. We found that we were making here in Southern California. It's called We Wish. It's an acorn mush that they would make, mm. and we would have that, and you get people to taste, and people didn't like it. They wouldn't eat it. Like I said, they kind of lost that connection, so they wouldn't want to eat it. So this is why we started kind of making it in other, you know, mixing it with other foods, mm. um, trying to get people to kind of you know develop a taste again for it. Yeah. Our intention is hopefully that develop a taste, they can kind of go back to maybe eating it originally the way it was traditional. So we're kind of taking baby steps to kind of reintroduce this. Because as you know, um, most people, if you taste something and have a bad experience, you're never going to want to taste it again. Sure. Yeah. You know? yeah. So what we try to do is we try to reintroduce this slowly. We want people to like it. We want people to eat it. We want people to have a good experience you know, with it. So that would be with acorn. Yeah, I've, I'm looking at the new nutritional <laughs> values of it, and there's a lot of a uh, lot of potassium, uh, 1.7 grams of protein. This is off of uh, one one ounce, so good amount of protein. A lot of vitamin B6, and it has uh, calcium, some iron, magnesium, and it has a lot of mag um, magnesium mag ma- manganese manganese. Manganese, it's got 19%. Uh, it's got folate, niacin, ribofenothiamine. Mm. Hey, I, I eat things in my smoothies that I power down because they're good for me. Yeah. They don't necessarily taste good. This sounds like it's a superfood. Super yeah. Know? Well, to me, it's also one of those things of just like, like starting a new routine, a new habit is you have something enough, you'll end up liking the taste yeah. of it. You'll like how it feels in your body. It just becomes more normal, but that initial kind of, your palate isn't used to this. It might be bitter because those tannins. You're, yeah. you're like, well, I'm used to some processed flour that has like kind of a sweet flavor to it, or Subway yeah. bread that's full of sugar. Yeah. Or whatever so another thing, it it's got 53% fat and 41% car- carbohydrates. So this is would be a really good food for like the paleo and keto. Yeah. Well, because I remember reading that the um, people of the of the mono. Uh, you know, the mono tribes up in Mono Valley would make the pace to travel over to the western side of the Sierra. So they'd make yeah. this kind of, for lack of a better word, like a cornmeal kind of thing that they would take to, to travel up and over the the pass over onto the western Sierras and trade with the, the tribes over on the western side. Yeah. So it, 
was like knew that it was like such a good like superfood because it would sustain you for so long. If you had nothing else, you just have that. You're gonna survive and yeah. be healthy. Yeah, so see, as you see, these are all the benefits that we know about acorn. They're actually researching it as a food source. I just feel the importance of this is this being, you know, we have no choice today. We have to start looking into alternatives for food. For There's, there's many, many yeah. people alive today. We have to start looking at sustainable food sources um, here in California. Um, and I'll talk about another two that might one of my other favorite foods that we talk about. Um, that, I mean, you know, but... but in our, in our experiences in the reintroduction to people is that, you know, Americans are finicky eaters. We're not, we're kind of, we're a little privileged and, you know, yeah. and if it doesn't taste good, we're going to snub our nose and we never want to eat it again. <laughs> doesn't come in cute packaging. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of something that, you know, we need to kind of get over that. We need to start looking on ways and how it can be processed. Again, the thing I also want to throw out there too, the important is, is, you know, there is a concern with over harvesting in yeah. different areas. I like to push, like I said, here in the city, you have ornamental um, um, oak trees that you can gather. That should be okay. But, of course, when you go in the forest, so far, it's like Angeles Forest. It's a really good acorn that we gather up in Angeles Forest. But then again, if we get everybody on board, then, you know, our concern is we're going to, you know, over over harvest it. So there has to be some form of control there as well. Um, so acorns, acorns is, is a good, you know, is a good food of the future, getting people to taste it. Can people to like it? How do, you know? How are you going to cook it? You know, how are you going to get the tannins out? There's a whole. I mean, it, it's it's been done. We know how to do it, but just getting that that going. So, if you if you were to gather acorns and take them home, what would be the quicker way than letting them dry out for a full year? You can put them in the oven. In the oven. Actually, if you crack them and take the nut shell out, and you put them, let them sit out out of the shell for a few months. And then you can bake them in the oven a little bit, not cook them. You're just going to dry them out more, yeah. and you can get your acorn flour, and then you grind them. We use those nice Vitamix. Yeah. We don't use the grinding stone anymore. We, again, we're trying to move things ahead and getting people sure. to use it, so we use the Vitamix, um, which is a really good blender. Or even your blender, too. A good yeah. blender. If you have a good blender, you can grind it. But the main thing is, like I said, getting getting the tannins out. And it's interesting, you know, now it's on my head. Um, some of the, our experience we ran into with these foods is that, again, there's a lot of fear. I've ran into a lot of fear. I've had people walk up to our tables and show an acorn and say, oh, I heard these are poisonous. They're not poisonous. You know, I mean, the tannins can give you a tummy ache and stuff, whatever. So that's another hurdle that we try to get over is getting people to learn how to eat these foods but not be afraid of them. And the concern is learn how to identify which one is the edible one, which one is not. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. but, are there um, are there poisonous acorns? No, no acorns. The only thing, like I said, if you eat too much tannin, it's going to give mm-hmm. you a belly ache. Okay, but they're not poisonous. Acorns are not, and they're all edible. All acorns are edible. But like I said, we want to caution people because there are some that are some trees are a little endangered that can be endangered. Yeah. So for the words, we don't want to you know utilize sure. those seeds and let them you, you know grow um, for future groves. Mm-hmm. But um, so, yeah, that would be acorn. Another one I want to kind of talk about that I think is very, very important, and like I said, again, acorn, you know, it does have its range. Um, there are ac- or oak forests and so forth, whatever, but, um, again, you know, very sought out. Different oak species are sought out for their wood and so forth. But another one I think that's important here that I want to, one of my favorite is mesquite bean flour. So everybody's heard about mesquite 
bean, mesquite barbecue, yeah. right? Yeah. So what they do is they get the mesquite tree and they chop it down and they make charcoal. Yeah. Okay. And then they cook your food and you're going to have the mesquite flavor. Well, for thousands of years, Native Americans have been eating the fruit from that tree. Wow. Mesquite tree, mesquite is um, in the legume family. So it has these beans that grow on, that grow on the tree. Okay, this is another superfood if you want to Google some of these ingredients. I mean, this is another, this, this food source, I'm going to even compare it greater than acorn because you can drive through the Sonoran Desert for hours and hours of mesquite groves. Hmm. Mesquite doesn't, trees don't need to be watered other than the monsoons and the, during the monsoon seasons yeah. or during the raining season when it comes, usually when it gets its water. So a very sustainable food source. Um, it is packed with nutrients. It's actually sweet. Okay, it's a sweet flavor to it. Uh, it is gluten free, so you can't. You, you need to mix it with other things like white flour if you want to make cookies or tortillas or bread, whatever. Um, but this and other folks around the Southwest have really been kind of pushed as, as a food source of the future. Um, oh, and I've seen these again. It's. They vary. It's like any fruit tree. Some some mesquite trees can be produce um, fruit that's sweeter than others. Yeah. Okay. There is a lot of species. Um, the good one, the the one that I like the best, the botanical name I can't remember, it's, but it's the honey mesquite. Mm-hmm. Uh, is a local one here. It starts about Anza Borrego, and it goes all the way down into Arizona, north, further north, all the way down into Mexico. Mm. I mean, all indigenous people ate mesquite food sources. I was actually in Mexico City in Templo Mayor, and I saw this this cachet of of offerings in this pyramid that that they had opened and dug up, and there was actually mesquite beans in there that hmm. were offered to the deities, you know, back then. So again, it's a food source today that sustained Native Americans for thousand years, thousands of years. And we're not utilizing. Today. I mean, honestly, I didn't ever think twice about anything mesquite besides like the, the, barbecue, the, charcoal, barbecue, the yeah. charcoal. And so yeah. these are beans that are inside a pod. You break the pod open, and when then you it's actually the whole flour, pod that you eat. You eat the whole entire pod. <clears throat> the, yeah. the, the nutritional contents are amazing. It's it has a lot of su- sucrose and glucose in it, which is great for energy. Five point eight grams of protein. Uh, insoluble fiber, moisture, calcium. It says it's also good for type type two diabetics. Yeah, it neutralizes your blood sugar. A lot of calcium, uh, potassium, magnesium. These are it like, has this, this is, some mucilaginous. Huge amount source. of uh, potassium and mag- and calcium. It's a yeah. superfood. Yeah, Absolutely. it is a superfood, and um, yet it's abundant. Needless to say, that species, the good one, the honey mesquite, is the one that I prefer. If you're going to go to your health food stores, you're going to find it, but you're going to get a species coming in from Argentina. It's an Argentinian species. I personally myself don't like it, and I think it's a shame that we're bringing this all the way from Argentina, which we have here in America, in North America. We have so many miles and states of mesquite that grows, but again, there isn't really much of it. There's starting to be more demand. I do consult with um, on buying flour. There are places in Arizona the Tohono Autumn um, um, Native American Reservation outside of Tucson does um, have a co-op that they do have the kids go grab the, the beans in the summer when they're ready, mm. and then they have a mill and they grind it and stuff, whatever. So what it is, when you get the bean, you have to kind of either roast it or dry, as long as it's nice and dry, 
and they you mill it. Traditionally, what they would do is they would mill it with a you know pestle and mortar and these big iron wood sort of um, wood grinding stone grinding mm-hmm. bowls that they would grind it and try to get it whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost if you don't have that or even the, I mean today what you do you want to grind the seed many times even when we grind it in our in our Vitamix usually we just get the casing it looks like a big long string bean kind of yep. nice little yellow string bean. And pretty much we end up just grind. We're able to grind only the outside. If you can grind the seed, that's great. And they do have a milling process in outside in Tucson, Arizona, um, that they do have this. It's like a city pro- project that you gather your mesquites, and then they'll you come on a certain day, and they'll grind it for you oh. in this mill. And that's able to grind the seed as well. Okay, But hmm. for our use, you know, we don't have that heavy duty, you know, because the seed is really hard. Um but again, one, I mean, there's been a lot of research done it. I mean, as you, thought, you saw the nutritional value of it. And to me, as a sustainable food source, it's just, I mean, this, I, like I said, I literally drove through hours to the Sonoran Desert of all you see is mesquite trees. Yeah. And we are not utilizing this food source. Yeah. It doesn't need to be watered. You know, I'm, I mean, it doesn't need to be watered, but again, it's during the monsoons and so forth, whatever. It's a tough plant. So um, again, I mean, something that, very sustainable. Um, the good, the benefits that mesquite has worked for us is that, like I said, it does have that sweet taste. Yeah. Okay. Which is a good thing for us, where people will be able to receive it. And compared to acorn, the acorns kind of has a little bland flavor, mm-hmm. um, whereas mesquite does have that little molasses kind of sort of flavor that's going to have. So it's going to be a little more accepted, you know, mm-hmm. um, for people to eat. And needless to say, the people may you can be turned off because the one that you're getting in from Argentina is a little too to me. It's a little too tart, and the same one here can be a little too tart too. But it's still a little sweeter and a little better, I think, than one here that we have here in um, Southern California. Not that we can get that we get. It usually comes out of the Southwest. Arizona is a big. If you're going to find any native seed search in Tucson, Arizona, really good source or the Tohono Autumn. San Javier Co-op is a really good source if they have it. Um, so there's not a lot of it out there. There's starting to be more demand for it, but a lot of people aren't really. I mean, there's not an, enough production of it, needless to say. So as you're as you're talking about this, I'm I'm thinking about all the almond trees that we grow in California. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I didn't want to bring that and, up because it's kind of how much how much water that exactly. needs. Oh yeah, exactly. that's we, whole Central exactly. Valley. We have a superfood like this that yes. grows with no water, yes. which we could have. We could definitely make mesquite yeah. milk. Yeah, it's already oh, sweet. Yeah, yeah. You could be making it, it from from looking at that new nutritional content. Oh, I didn't even think of that. You could make anything. Oh my gosh, the milk would be amazing. You make would make shakes with that. Yeah. Like, well, and that's what I was just gonna say. Is I feel because I personally have never seen mesquite flour, mesquite beans like sold anywhere. Because I feel like what you're saying is that you have to go to very specific health yeah. food stores that are like in Tucson or somewhere where they're already milling it there. And why that hasn't been or how that could become something that's more widely, you know, attainable where you don't have to go to these very specialized places yeah. in order to find well, that. Well, and, and that's been, that's why I was really excited to come talk to you guys here because this is what we need to do is we need to put this information out there. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, let people know about this. Uh, food source, um, yes, like you said, and I didn't want to, you know, because it gets controversial with almonds, but you're right. I mean, almonds take up, I mean, here we They're have a shortage of water. And you live in a desert. And, and, <laughs> almond farming. And, and, and it's just the gallons far- of water that we use to, 
it's just almond I, I, almond farming in California does not make sense. We're yeah. we're n currently not in a drought, but it's coming back again, yeah. like it always does. I lived in California for forty four years, and it comes back about every eight years or so. Yeah. And we have we have these dry desert areas in California that end up having no water. Yeah. They were shipping water into these small towns, but we have these. Acres and acres and thousands of acres. Like it blew my mind. I, I bought my trees. dad this amazing book. This artist did these renditions of what California looked like prior to colonization, and I didn't realize like the lake that used to be in Tulare, which you know now yeah. that whole area is a, fam a very large farming area. But these beautiful lakes and stuff where it was like so full of like all this greenery and water, mm. but now we're always struggling for water. Yeah, you know we had to dam up so many rivers and so many creeks in the in the Sierras in order to provide water, and we're still always short. You know, I want to bring up two authors or individuals that I learned a lot from in the Southwest. One is Gary Nabhan and Richard Felger. Gary Nabhan? Yeah, Gary Nabhan from Arizona, a University of Arizona, and um, Richard Felger, who just recently passed. But these guys, I got to know, and I know still Gary, and that's their, I mean, it's interesting to me that California is trendy, as trendy as we are, Really, we're behind this, you know. Arizona is pretty good on that, um, Tucson and so forth, with these people that I've met. And I know um, that uh, Richard would talk about not only, you know, his, he was big on mesquite as his food. He, you know, he was, he was pushing these sustainable food sources of the future. Gogi berry, the growth in the desert. Mm -hmm. Gogi berry. Um, we use gogi The berries. mesquite, the... Yeah. the um, the Washingtonian filifera, the California fan palm, which we mm. do process. Um, that's edible? That's edible. The seed is, it's in the date family. Oh, the dates. You mm. can make it, the, you know, the, when you go down Palm Springs, yep. you know, go down Palm Canyon. The farms out there? Okay. No, 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 no. Those are dates. Okay. The farms are dates. When you drive in downtown Palm Springs, you're going to see these palm strings down Palm Canyon, uh -huh. those big fat trunk palms when you're going down Palm Canyon. Okay. That species is called, the species is Washingtonian filifera. That is the only true native palm of California. Hmm. It comes in from Baja, comes up north, and pretty much into the Eddy area is where its territory ends. I've seen those in there. You've yeah. seen them, yeah. yeah. Mm, but it's yeah. not the gray one. It's the big, has a big skirt. You yep. can't miss them. They grow up in that area. And they do have them ornamental here and there. So they, forth. They, they grow in the, in the washes. Yeah, in, yeah. yeah. Or they'll grow like in spring. Oh, yeah. Like in yeah. spring. You know, so like when, when we're, driving, we're driving down Baja in the middle of nowhere, you'll drive through a, through a little spring and the, the, there'll be like yeah. piles yeah. of those. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well is that, it the ones like if you're up in 29 Palms? That one, yes. Those palms yeah. that are around like the... This, the, uh, exactly, Oasis that's gotcha. the one. That, yeah. Not yeah. these big thin poles that we have no. here. Those are from Mexico. <laughs> the ones actually, that, that we have that, 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 that here. LA is known for. Yeah. That is not native to here. Okay, yeah. the natives what they would do the kawea in particular here in Palm Springs area. They would gather the fruit, they would parch it, and they would grind it and make a meal out of it. Now it's again that's sweet. It's good. It's same nutrients as dates, and sure. it's, you know, dates are very nutritional, right? Mm -hmm. um, so that's we make syrup. We've been gathering the, the fruit and make syrup out of that. But that's another sustainable food source that grows in the desert. Doesn't need, you know, it just brings. I mean, it produces plenty of fruit. And again, that's just the, the palm fronds themselves. The the fruit. The, the fruit, fruit from it. The fruit. Oh, okay. fruit. They're gonna have these big like grape like certain. You know, right now actually they're just getting. They should be ripe soon. Probably should be ripe now. They should be turning color. They'll turn the same color as date. They'll turn their brown. You know, color mm. like a date. By now. Um, 
and again, it was again another another sustainable food source. But that's um, that would be one. But again, going back to mesquite, I mean, just mesquite is something that, like you said, it's it's it neutralizes your blood sugar, keeps you. What it does is because it keeps you full longer. It's high fiber. Um, I have a lot of faith in mesquite because I think it is a future that a food of the future that we need to start looking into. Um, and I could keep on repeating over there. We have no choice. We have to start looking at some sustainable food sources. We ship this food from all over the world. Well, we have these foods right here. We have this mm. mesquite tree right here in the desert, you know, and they're chopping it down and making your steaks, you know, with a with burning coal. It. Yeah, burning yeah. it. <laughs> you know? So it's like very American. I mean, when, when it's producing, Cook our meat it's with producing, it. Yeah, right. when it's producing our food source. Another one that I want to talk about that's, in, that's I think, very important too that applies here to um, California Southern California is nopal, cactus. Oh, yes. That's my favorite. Yeah, <laughs> cactus is another sustainable food source. Again, we have perfect climate. You don't have to water it. You don't have to fertilize it. All you have to do is very anybody not even in a garden, even if you don't even art gardening skills. All you have to do is get a pad, put it in the ground, and you're going to get a nopal plant. Yeah, nopal again, another super food. Um, another you know high in nutrients, high in calcium. Um, for women, nopal, very, very good, very high in calcium. Um, high in mucilaginous, you know, um, content that it has. And one other thing why I want to talk about that is because we today in our diet, as we know, we eat too much processed food and we don't eat enough mucilaginous con- you know, food, mm. foods that have mucilaginous. Mesquite has it, for example. Um, chia seeds have it. The little slime thing, whatever. Yeah. Nopal is loaded with it. Yeah. But our experience is learning and trying to get people reintroduced nopal is again our finicky eaters that we are, we snub our nose because cacti- nopal has too much slime in it. Yeah. Okay. Well, needless to say that we need that. When you eat nopal and you eat that 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 mucilaginous, you just dose your stomach with this healthy, you know, you just coated your guts with a super nutritional food source that we don't get enough at. So many times people, but what we learned too that there's ways, and why I'm talking about that, because that is one of the things that has turned people away from cactus, nopal. Is the, the is slimy that, you know, It's like, ah, it. oh, it's gross, it's slimy, oh, yeah. it's whatever. But it's like, wait, wait a minute, you know, but there's ways to cook it. Yeah. You can grill it. Um, but let me step back. Another thing too is, um, remember, it is a spring food. Okay, it comes up in the spring and it's new pads that you eat. You can in hard times eat the old growth too. You can, but more likely is the spring growth Young pads ones. that you, you get. The, the That's smaller you get. ones that haven't. Uh, a turn off for people is the um, glochids, the little what does that almond, you know, removing That's one that. Thing I was just talking to yeah. Adam about. I never, my neighbor, I didn't start really knowing about Nepali until I moved to LA. My neighbors would show me how to. Yeah. What do you call it? Like despine it, kind of. Yeah. And I never could get it smooth because I'd always yeah. end up taking out chunks of it. But it is yeah. tough to get that if you're not used yeah. to doing it. Yeah. So m- one of my earliest memories of my great grandfather is him in the garage uh, despining the palace, and he yeah. would sit on his bucket and 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 despine them into another bucket. And he was always making the palace when I was a little little kid. Yeah. And so also my my mom was just telling me a story. The other day, my stepfather had pneumonia. He was really sick. And my great-grandmother said, get him some Nepales. So what they did was they would take, they would despine de- it. Is that what they call it, despine mm-hmm. it? And then they, they would cut the Nepales in half, 
and then place them on his chest and place them on his back. And they tie him around it. And he wore it for a complete night, and his pneumonia was gone within a couple <laughs> yeah. days. Huh. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like, a, like a total old Mexican witch, witchcraft kind of stuff. Yeah. Super cool. Yeah, but you have to think these things were used. You know, but they had faith in these. The that, way they didn't have medicine. The way yeah. pills. Yeah, the way they did that was yeah. thousands, of, thousands of years yeah. of trial and error. And where there was mental or mind over that made you feel whatever well. Whatever it was, it whatever worked. Whatever it was, it you worked. Feel and feel well. Yeah. But yeah, but I think nopal is another food that we have. And like I said, it's another food that you have to acquire a taste for it. Um, you know, uh, like I said, for us, it's been you know, removing the glow kids and then, again, how to cook it. If you grill it, for example, you're going to eliminate a lot of that mucilaginous, you know, things. You can th- toss it in your salads. Um, I found that um, I looked up and it works is... When you're gonna steam them, don't boil them because when you boil them, they're just you're just gonna have Slime end up a big pot of all that yeah, mucilaginous yeah. stuff, whatever. But I learned that um, if you get the husk of the green tomatillo, yeah. the little green tomatillos, you get a handful of those husks and you steam them with that, mm. and that cuts down some of the mucilaginous. I mean, you're gonna oh. still have it, yeah. but it's not gonna be so obvious and not gonna taste as much. Um, you're not going to have so much of it, you know, because that's so. What Geocafe Collector tries to do is we're trying to get people to eat these foods, but how are we going to get you eat them? And we know that people are not going to like it if it's slimy. So how can we fix this to get people to receive it and like it? Remember, mm-hmm. so that they don't get turned off. Um, again, the flavor too. You know, they are a little tart. Um, they make good salads. You can put them in your soups. Um, so there's other ways, you know, sky's a limit how you can practice on how to eat these things. And like you said, I mean, I've had people who come who come to us and tell us, you know, as an ultimatum, they said, they said, I, I, I'm maintaining my diabetes mm. by eating nopales. It's but you, you know, they have to eat it every single day. They're on yeah. their medication stuff, whatever, but it does, mm. um, you know, help them and maintain their diabetes. And make so an forth. omelet with it. Yeah. That's what we, yeah. we, used, we yeah. used to put with it in, 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 in eggs. Yeah. I used to make yeah. some great, like, kind of pico de gallo type uh, salads with it or with yeah. shrimp, put shrimp in it. And like, yeah. oh, we used to always nopales. pick the uh, cactus apples, too. Yeah, that would the be another Apples one, were yeah. great. And oh, they're the, full uh, of those, those those little seeds, and you poop out all the seeds after. Yeah. Yeah, they're yeah. so, those, the apples are delicious. Yeah. And really did you good. know that the tuna, the fruit, is um, anti-inflammatory? What's it? What'd you just say? Dunas. They call tunas. That tunas. tunas. My my great grandfather used to put me on his knee and sing a song and say da tuna, da tuna, da tuna. Just mark that came yeah. right back. I didn't remember that yeah. for well, the past yeah. years. But that's another that's another food source. The native people would gather the local one here, and they would also eat the they would eat the pulp, and they would take the seed. They would save the seed, and they would grind that into a flour as well, and at certain times, you can also, once you remove all the glokets off the tuna, you can actually dry the little peel, mm-hmm. and it's sweet, just like candy, like dry candy. It's really good. I've had They're it delicious. Yeah. yeah. So, again, um, we've made margaritas with those, great margaritas. Uh, that's cool. Fresh tuna, and again, they're supposed to say it's not help with hangover. It's supposed to help with hangover. <laughs> we've done that. But tunas, you know, that you find a little bit more. Um, the thing about tunas, they're good, but again, it's just, it's fairly high packed with a lot of sugar. They do have what they are. They're yeah. sweet. So if you want to watch your sweet, you know, your sweet. 
They're like candy. Sugar. Yeah, like candy, yeah. I mean, but if you eat the, the fresh ones, you know. Um, we're in the season right now. The season is just about over for the prickly pear tuna. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a season of food. You can find the museum at Mexican markets. They're available mm-hmm. now. Um, so, yeah, so I think those three that I'm covering is are foods that here in Southern California that are foods that I think we need to start thinking about um, as these foods of the future. Um, you know, they do well in our climate. They don't take a lot of water. Um, but like I said, the trick is getting to people to develop a flavor, a taste for it. Um, you guys remember chia. I mean, every, all this information came out about chia. We also do a lot with chia. There is a native species here. Sal, Salvia really? columbaria is a native species of chia here. There's a couple of them. And thistle chia, another one that we've gathered. Um, and this food, this chia, as you know, it's super nutritional, right? Yeah, you I know, had everyone knows all, Yeah, everyone, whatever. Now, did you know that if you... The natives, what they would do here, they would gather the chia and then they would have a basket... How they cooked it is they had a basket. They would drop the chia in there, and they would make the little hot coals, drop the coals in there, and they would winnow it until it roasted the chia. Okay, Then it was gathered, winnowed, cleaned, whatever, and then it was ground. When you roast chia, the flavor comes out more. You, it enhances hmm. the flavor. See, Do you have to soak them before no, you no, roast no, them? No, 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 no. no roast no, them no, dry? No, dry. No, no, don't soak them. I want to try no, that. No, when you roast... And what you can do is... You get just a little skillet, just yeah. skillet. Turn it on low. Drop your cup, whatever, half cup, whatever of chia seed. But you have to. But there's one. There's a trick. You when you put it in a skillet, you have to stir it. Continue to stir and stir and stir. You'll start smelling it, and also it kind of smells like popcorn. It start popping too. When you can smell that, that it's pretty much done. Take it out. Put it in a bowl. Take it off the hot skillet right, right away. away. Yeah. Because if you leave it on, it's going to continue Cuts. to burn, mm-hmm. and then it's going to be bitter. Mm-hmm. Okay, because you burned it. You don't. You don't need to put any oil in with it no. or anything. Just no, no, no. Throw no, it in no, a no. dry it's skillet. With its own oil in it, whatever. So no, it'll true. roast. It'll roast whatever. But like I said, get it out of the skillet as soon as possible. Because if you don't take it out, it's going to continue to burn on the heat of the heat of the pan. Take it out, um, and then you can either grind it or add it to your to your um, to your cereal. And it does enhance the flavor a whole lot. I mean, it does give it a whole different flavor. See, that's the thing with chia, because I can tell you, everybody has a thing of chia, a container of chia in their in their Yeah, we have a huge cabinet. Bag. But yeah. it's like, how do you eat it? Yeah. You know, I was you can bake with I it. I like to sprinkle it on my eggs like pepper. I like to put it in my baking, especially now with the holidays. We have in our cookbook. We have a really good cornbread, basic cornbread. Put it in your cornbread. Like you can put it in your tortillas. Mm. You put it in your any baking. You can add it that way. But like I said, but when you roast chia, it just enhances the flavor a lot, which people like a little bit. Not everybody, but most people will like that flavor a little bit. So along our journey, these are kind of the things. Like I said, we've tried to reintroduce and help people to kind of like this. But one thing I want to also make very clear is. Um, you know, we can talk about all these great foods and so forth, whatever, but the, the I think one of the big barriers we have today is accessibility. Um, not everybody has access to acorn flour. You're, and if you're going to find acorn right now, those who are grinding acorn flour, and if you're lucky, you can get it leached already when they took the tannins on, but it's, it can be $25 or $30 a pound yeah. right now for yeah. acorn flour. Mesquite, the honey mesquite that we have, the local one for Argentina is pretty cheap. You'll find that available. But the honey mesquite, I've seen it between... We actually gathered in the reservation and did it 
just a few months ago. But um, a good honey mesquite pound, I've seen it between twelve and fifteen to twenty two dollars a pound. So again, it's high up there for people because yeah. there's not a lot of it. Yeah, but need process, should I say? Not enough processed product out there. I think it's going to happen like, remember Chia when Chia first came out, it was really expensive at the beginning. Now yeah. everybody grew it. Now there's abundance on it. Now you can get $5 a pound. And you get it at Costco. Yeah. yeah, you can get but it But again, now all for, that Chia, what was the low, the Chia that you're saying was, uh, is native to, to the Southwest? Salvia columbaria is the native one from here. And where does that come from? Here, local. But the, the, the one we find, the one you find at the market is Salvia Hispanica. Salvia Hispanica. So the one we eat is the one that the Aztecs ate. Mm, Aztecs mm. also ate chia. Throughout the, all the Mayans, all those people ate chia. Mm-hmm. But that species was Salvia Hispanica. Salvia, Salvia columbaria is the local one that we have here. Again, we do gather it with the tribal people, but something that I don't really want to encourage people to go out and gather. I mean, because there's not enough abundance of it. It's a very finicky plant. It has mm. to have certain rains. It's an annual so you have a certain, you know, it has to, a certain amount of rain on it. It can have too much rain, can have too little. And the season is usually around June, July, May, June, July, when you're able to hard gather the seed. Um, you know, God was winnowing and, and gather it out in, the, hmm. in nature out here. Salvia is all, I, I wonder if any it's of those are psychoactive family. plants also. Sal, salvia can be a psy, it's, psychoactive plant yeah, that was it's, used on native. It's, but it's in the mint family. Okay. Chias are in the mint family. The mint family. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, salvia, so, like so salvia, girls, so girls the like white weed. sage is related to the white sage and it's in that families and so Interesting. forth. Um, when you gather chia, it, you just get that, when you're out there beating the bush, you just, the local one, salvia hispanica, you just get this little minty sort of mm. aroma from when, you, yeah, when you're beating the plant. Yeah, because like you're saying, like white sage yeah. and similar yeah. to that. Yeah, because, you know, something, when you're talking about accessibility, because I, I I see it more when I'm in Arizona. I'll go on tours and stuff where then we'll have a lot of stops in Arizona, and you see a lot of these kind of like local markets or things that are promoting more indigenous foods, indigenous arts. Do you feel like there's more of a disconnect here in California to like indigenous practices, these native foods, than in places like Arizona or New Mexico? Because you're saying like you know for California we're supposed to be pretty hip, yet yeah. so many of these things. I mean, I hadn't ever heard of mesquite beans or the use of mesquite beans until today. Yeah. You know, so do you find like a disconnect with that here in California? I think, yeah, and I like I was saying earlier, I find that kind of surprising when we started. I've been doing this about fifteen years, and when we kind of started coming here preaching the word about native foods, it still wasn't. It still wasn't. People, oh yeah, we're doing it, but we're not. But you know, now we are actually consulting. I consult with um, um, Indian uh, North San Diego County Indian Health. We got a they got a federal grant there. So we worked on the reservations and tried to reintroduce some of these foods. And it was really neat. We just had a food, a native food feast that we caught, that we made for the tribal people. And we used local acorn there from Mount Palomar. We mm. got mesquite bean from Alzambrego, which was actually was on a village site from the Koopa people. Mm. We got quail. We got prickly pear. Um, what is it called? Wild Animal Park. I don't know what the, what's the name of it now down Sam, in San Diego. Sepasquah. Yeah. They gave us permission to go and gather the prickly pear on the on the property there. Um, really good friend of us there, um, Charlie De La Rosa, Dr. Charlie De La Rosa got us in there, and then um, so we've had you know some of the local farms there. So a lot of the food that we processed for that meal was a lot of local local ingredients that we wild gathered. What what were some of the the favorite animals that that were eaten among the local natives around here? 
Well, I don't know. I mean, you have to remember, getting meat back in those days, from what I understand, and here is what I hear about, you know, that, that took a lot of energy. If you're talking about pre-contact, you know, pre-contact before they had guns and stuff, whatever, of yeah, course, yeah. Um, meat was, it was more vegetarian diet because meat was took a lot of work. You, you probably know, got what you can you know, get, stuff, whatever. And yeah, rabbits. so, but, um, of course, after contact with the guns, you know, meats were a little more easier with, you know, deer, the more the bigger animal, quails, rabbits. Um, uh, another one that I thought was kind of interesting, I just can't get myself to try it, is the wood rat. The wood rat was eaten, you know, when you go on the desert, you have those big old nests, those big old piles oh, yeah. of things that they build, stuff, whatever. Yeah. Those rats. And there are people who are reviving that in the Midwest. There's a really good film you might want to look at. It's, it's, it's um, um, Gather. I don't know if you guys heard about it, but anybody look into that, it's Gather, and they did a really good story on that revival of Native foods within Native Americans. Oh, cool. And then one of the processes there, there was showing a woman who was trying to revive the, the gathering of the pack rat. So, because they're a little bit fatter, huh. right? They're a little bit fatter, yeah. And I've seen yeah. them, I've caught them before, and they're big, they're they're big, chunky ones. They're, yeah, they're big, you know, they're good. big ones. Mice you ready, Brandon? In, in Africa, I ate mice. Did you? But they were small, so there's like no meat on it. And it's like, it well, you eat the bone too. <laughs> you eat the whole thing. Yeah. And the way it was done that here. That was the hard part for me yeah. is the crunchiness from their teeth yeah. and their bones. When the you're way it was done know. here, they were, they, were, they were actually, they weren't skin, they were just shaved. You yeah. have the skin like chicken. So yeah. they were shaved and, or charred, okay, to burn the hair off, the, um, butterflied, and then they did pound them. Mm, so they to, break the bone. to break, break up the, the bones, bone, up, soften and the then bones. they were grilled, and you ate the whole thing. Because you know, yeah, so. when when I was in Africa, uh, I was in Malawi, and there'd always be these people on the side of the road with mice on a stick, and I'd ask them, I'd be like, well, <laughs> I was like, do do Americans ever eat this? They're like, no, nah, no. Nah. I was like, well, I want to try. It. They're like, we'll get you some good ones. So some kids from the local village caught me some mice. And the way they prepared it is they uh, cooked it just in salt water, all the hair on and everything, because the hair soaks up the, the flavor of the salt, and you just eat the whole thing. Uh, yeah. It took me a while. to. It, the, the hardest part was just, again, it was like the fur and the eating the bones. Yeah. I think we're so not used to that here, because when I was in India, we'd just eat certain types of fish. You just eat the whole thing, the bone and all. We're not used to that here, where it's kind of you like know, a, a you know what, thing. What's good for, I've seen, though, with all these food channels we have and stuff, whatever... That is helping I'm for sure. us, yeah. Because I think people, Americans, are becoming a little more adventurous now with food. You right? Know? Yeah, no, yeah. no more white toast. I mean, people are being a little <laughs> bit more, a little more creative and stuff. So we have a more educated population about foods. So I know for us in the revitalization of indigenous foods here in Southern California, I know that in a way those cooking shows have helped. Well, I feel so there's more of a way. culture now where. It's like not cool to not want to try something new because I have some friends. I'm like, oh, you're feeling sick. Let me make you this brew. They're like, no way, man. I'm not gonna try that. I'm like, you're yeah. you're like in your 30s. What do you mean you're not gonna try this? Or I have a cousin that's like, I don't eat vegetables. I'm like, yeah. you don't eat vegetables? Like, no, meat and potatoes. You're like, yeah. what? That's still so a you, thing. A visit in a hospital when you have cancer. When you got cancer. No, no. What what about insects? Insects, um, we're not there's we we're not gathering insects right now. Although grasshoppers and a lot of larvae were eaten here in Mono Lake, as you know, the larva of the fly at Mono Lake was gathered. Mono Lake. Oh, um, I haven't heard of. There is a worm that also comes in the pine tree, uh, a plague that didn't come in plagues. I can't remember the name, but the Paiutes would eat that, um, and you know those were gathered and roasted. Here I know um, a lot of grubs, a lot of. Um, 
lot of um, you know grasshoppers and other things. I, and it's interesting when I go gather when we good. go gather yeah, chia, chia. Grasshoppers are good. Delicious. Grass, grasshoppers. Grasshopper. When I, last time I was in Oaxaca, oh, yeah. we had grasshopper guacamole. Yeah. Damn, it was so Very good. good. Uh, roasted yeah. with Very some unreal. chocolate on it, oh, like just some cacao. No, they just you get what you get. You little they saute them, and you get your tortilla. And you know, chapulines, grasshoppers, and guacamole. Uh, it's a way delicious. to eat it. So it's not sweet. No, well, the not one sweet. I guess I've had it where it wasn't sweet. It was just the cacao. No, not like chocolate, but just like cacao and then like some cayenne mm. and like yeah. kind of roasted so it's crunchy. Yeah, like I mean, I've, you can I've, get them down I've always right thought, yeah. you know, we're so obsessed with shrimp. Yeah. Why? I wonder what it would taste. I, mean, I wonder if it tastes like if you, if you sauteed a caterpillar or a grub. It, that ha, it, it probably is not Let's that bad. Let's start a new thing. Where they are, you know, you Finger can foods. find yeah. you can find um, you can find cricket flour now. Yes. Yeah. I personally don't like crickets. I've had them. I like grasshoppers better. Grasshoppers because they eat, you know, they grass, they, they grass, eat greens, yeah. especially if they're corn fed. They all eat, they eat the milpas and they'll eat the, the corn leaves stuff, whatever. Um, how you do that is I was in Oaxaca. I learned in Oaxaca. Mm-hmm. I, Talking to people, they gather the uh, chapulín um, that's been like early in the morning when it's cold and chilly because they'll kind of clump up. And you, I've seen them plagues. There's actually plagues down the ground. They're like walking like plagues of this hmm. chapulín, the one that's edible. They gather them in the morning when it's chilled. They put them in a the basket and they let them poop everything out because it depends what they've been eating. If they've been eating bitter plants, they're going to be bitter. Hmm. Okay, so once they pooped them out, then they drop them in hot water. That's why they're red like shrimp. Because then they'll yeah. put them out and then they'll, you know, spice them up with lemon and chilito or whatever stuff for a chili powder. And then they dry them. Okay. And you went to Oaxaca, you've seen the yeah. Mercado. Oh, they yeah. have all these piles of all different different age from the yes. little ones to the medium size the to markets. the big ones. The more desirable ones, of course, are the small ones because the bigger they are, they have their legs are bigger and they're harder to chew. They get stuck in your teeth. But if you eat the smaller, younger ones, they're much, they taste a little better. You yeah. have to get deal with them. You know, leg. I've I've always heard that. You, I mean, as humans, we've evolved for I mean a good two hundred thousand years, right? As as civilized humans, we've only recently stopped eating insects yeah. in the past yeah. couple, in the U.S. Couple hundred yeah, in, in the U.S. In the U.S. Yeah, couple hundred years. And look at how unhealthy people are. Maybe there's yeah. something there. Maybe there's yeah. something. Maybe there's can- cancer fighting benefits to eating in- insects and grubs and the- these things. Or maybe you, I don't know. But it it just seems like wait a minute. We evolved this long eating insects, and now all of a sudden we d- we don't. Yeah. I don't know. But it's another it sustainable. Like it's another sustainable food source. Yeah. You can grow grasshoppers and raise grasshoppers in a smaller space than you grab cattle. Oh yeah, pigs or chickens. Right. You know, you get more for your buck in a small piece of land, and it's just and it's a good protein. Is that considered vegan? um, (laughs) Maybe it's vegetarian. It's a protein. Yeah, but trigger for the vegan crowd out there. Yeah, yeah. But no, but I mean, again, as a as a cheap protein, as a good protein, something we need to start thinking about. You know, I mean, yeah. So I think, you know, this is a thought that's going. I've, I've seen. I'm research and stuff, whatever. Not only here, but you know, the Amazon, they're also looking, going to look into ways on how to harvest nuts and things out of the, out of the, out of the Amazon without having to tear things down. Mm. You have to kind of preserve it. Yeah. Kind of utilize it and maybe get these things, gather these things out without having to tear down the, the Amazon. And I think that's the same thing here, like in Southern California. I mean, we have these forests. 
um, well, we can go out and gather these foods, but learning how to, you know, the, the concern, like I said, the concern that we have is that this is a high populist area and they already have the problem here on our local for Angeles Forest, because we know people there who people do go in there and do gather things over, you know, over gather. Yeah, um, sure. I don't know if you heard about White's, the latest on White Sage, yeah. right? You know, White Sage is, White Sage grows from, in this area, comes in like a little further north, Santa Barbara, all the way down into Baja. It's the only region where White Sage actually only grows. This is the only place in the world it grows. I had some friends of mine, um, Deborah Small and Rosie Ramirez, who just did an article on saging the world, and they did a lot of research. And... Um, we're putting sage at risk of, of, of eradicating it it's because now hippies. everybody wants to do the saging yourself. You mm-hmm. see it on TV, this whole thing. I mean, you're talking about a plant that only grows in this area. Yeah. And so, what, and so they're not, I've always wondered that. Are they not, are, are there, there's not really sage farms? There's starting to be a few. But most of the sage, and if you see when they sell it to you, they sell it to you as a wild gathered, wild harvest which is not what we want to see. Yeah. There's, there's reserves up here in this area that are policing. If you ever look up their article, they have a really good article on Saging the World, Deborah Small and, the world. And, and, um, Saging the, and and Rosie Ramirez. They did a very good article on that, on the research that they did. They got a lot of attention on it too, actually. Um, but yeah, it's... Um, and, and I would imagine pa- Palo Santo's got to be one. I that's, heard that. I right. would worry about Palo Santo too. Yeah, I'm Because Palo Santo's an actual tree. They're yeah. beautiful. They're yeah. beautiful yeah. trees. They're probably tearing yeah. those down for that stuff. Those, those are down in Baja too. They're beautiful. Yeah, they're, they're, they're going to... Yeah. There was a festival that I played where they they basically had like a disclaimer because it was like a zero waste, like, you know, really co- eco-conscious about they weren't going to be selling Palo Santo, encouraging people not to burn Palo Santo without knowing like educating yourself on the fact that it's becoming endangered yeah. because it's become such a popular incense, such a yeah. popular cleansing tool. We just and fuck everything we're, up. We're, yeah. we're, we're still like, <laughs> yeah. we like something and you got to get all of it. God, you yeah. know? And you know, and it's Human? interesting, um, from the research that they found was that, okay, sage, white sage here was used for bronchial, kind of blue-like sort of things, whatever, that it was used for that um, as a, um, you know, they've even found... Um, antibiotic properties to it and stuff, whatever, but it was used among native here people, but that it was burned in smudge and stuff, whatever. That kind of came about like during the hippie era when people were kind of starting, they started doing the smudging, the burning in the sage stuff, whatever. I actually have some Palo Santo here. I'm going to burn. Yeah. And, um, but now the, um, so then years ago, the native American kind of absorbed his, took ownership of white sage as part of their, you know, process stuff, whatever. But anciently, anciently, it wasn't necessarily used to, like you see today. That's like kind a of, smudging Yeah, well, that's kind of new now. That's kind of new now kind of thing that's kind huh. of been about. But traditionally, anciently, it wasn't used that way, supposedly. So what was understand. there like a ceremonial purpose of yeah, it? Yeah, but ceremonies when, were different. Ceremonies, yeah. I mean, I think a lot of ceremonies see today, you know, that's some of the things that... Well, I don't want to go into that, but you know, even that has changed too in different approaches. You know, to what um, go into that? Well, no, it's just like um, <laughs> I mean, in California, seven. you know, the people here were basically nude and wore you know a certain little feather headdress on their face, and I mean, but some people were mistaken and used the moccasins and the the um, you know. 
um, the big head bonnet, headdress, yeah. whatever. The war that chief wasn't look. done here. Yeah. That yeah. wasn't done in California. Yeah. That's Midwest. Yeah. Powwows, as you know, were, from what I understand, um, I was told, powwow was more came about uh, when natives were put on reservations oh. and they did their festivals. So powwows are really that's where the origins of powwows came on. So oh, whatever. Wow. So, but again, that's a whole different topic. They're going away from my native food thing here. <laughs> um, well, that, you, you have so many interesting uh, things that that you do. One thing I, I wanted to ask you about, other than the native foods, was where did you learn how to weave baskets? Okay. He weaves well, beautiful baskets, wow. like native baskets. Yeah. yeah. Well, I kind of, like, you know, you go through journeys in your life, and I started learning. I I learned from some people here, some elders. I learned from the Parkers in Yosemite. I learned from Justin Farmer here in Southern California. Um, I, I was kind of looking for an art craft sort of thing, whatever, you know. Yeah. I tried painting, tried other things, whatever, and um, ended up being that, I, you know, I thought baskets were cool. So uh, I like hiking. I like plants. So I was able to take a few classes with some of these folks and learn the basics of Southern California basketry. Basketry here was one of the main, you know, pots and pans of women here in Southern California. And um, it's been a craft that's been lost here probably in our, well, the Tongva here in L.A., which, again, we want to acknowledge the Tongva because we're in Tongva land here. Um, they um, were some of the first to lose the basket making. Then you have the Chumash, and then you have the Luceños and so forth up in this area. Um, so it's been over between 1,500 years, maybe, different, different areas that basketry has been lost within our lifetime. And there's been a big um, movement to revive it. And basically, I just kind of started learning it kind of on my own and kind of researching, learning from a few elders that were still alive and um, learning from the old pieces. But... Um, you know, each tribe here in this part of Southern California had a different technique, had a different patterns, had different materials that might have been used. Actually, I take it back. Pretty much here, here from Santa Barbara all the way into the Mexican border into Arizona, they used certain plants, same plants, but there were different techniques. Um, for example, the Tongva look kind of like the Chumash, were similar in design, mm -hmm. but not as ornate. Mm -hmm. um, Chumash baskets in Santa Barbara, you know, starting from that part of California, they were very ornate. They were very collectible. When the Spanish came here, they started collecting them as these mm -hmm. um, odd, beautiful things, you know. There's some beautiful pieces in museums uh, from the Chumash. Tongva, yes, not a lot of Tongva baskets. There's a few here in some of the local museums. Um, but they weren't in those eight. And then you had, you know, the Paula area, all that San Diego area, very, you know, and that. But anyway, so, yeah, so I've been fortunate enough that I, I took the time in my life to learn the process, learn how to do it originally, traditionally, and I'm still learning because you're always learning about them. Yeah. And um, figured out the, I'm going to say figured the code, figured out the code on how to make these baskets. For example, in Southern California, in this area, they wove when, and I do what I do is coiling. When they wove, they wove to the right. The tribes in the north wove to the left. So when you teach people, there's this whole different process on how to teach whatever. So anyway, I've been fortunate that I was hired on by the Santines Chumash up in um, 
um, something that's Chumash band up uh, there near uh, near um, Solvang, okay, under that area. Yeah, and um, I don't know they're we, that we're far under grant. Yeah, and that's you know, that's the only federally recognized Chumash tribe in California, um, and uh, so I've, I've been working with them for about a couple for a couple of years, and I'm going to say that we've according to our friends at the Santa Barbara Natural History Museum, we estimate about a 100-year gap of loss of this basket. So myself working with the tribal people there, we I can say, proud to say, that we have about five people who are now weaving baskets in the traditional way, as close as we can get. Wow. So we're gathering the materials, processing them. So we've kind of, they made history. You know, we're kind of reviving that. And that's not only here, but that's going around the state uh, it's been going on for a number of years, um, trying to revive this. But it's a lot. There's just a lot of factors. It's, you know, we live in a fast-paced society. Coil basket weaving. I mean, it can take you to do one row, depending on design. It can take you two hours or three hours, and people don't really have that time today. So there's a lot of factors that cause people not to do this because it's a very slow process. So I um, my mom doing that. Yeah. Good at yeah. It. So again, it's 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 um, but it's you know it's it's a lot. It's teaching people how to identify the plants in the wild, which is the big one because one of the plants is called sumac, and it looks just like poison oak. So it's learning how to identify it and find it and find the difference. Oh, I know how to find that stuff. Yeah, mm. and then so when you gather it, so again that for example sumac has been in the revitalization of basketry here in this area has been a slow coming because a lot of people don't know which one is the poison oak when the sumac. I mean, I, I, I know the difference. It's pretty easy to tell the difference. Mm, not necessarily. Yeah, you're right. There the, is. The well, reddish poison, leaves, you stay away yeah, from the reddish well, leaves. But, but the <laughs> sumac. But see, and don't pee around them. Yeah, no, but the poison oak, the, the, rust, the basket bush, uh, Rustra alabata is the botanical name, it looks just like poison oak. It's got the reddish leaves yes, on it? Yes, it does. It looks just like poison oak. But poison oak, for example, will wrap itself around trees. Poison oak has a white berry when it produces, it has a little tiny little white flower like a grape and mm -hmm. it has a little grape-like white fruit, okay? And, has, and the leaves and the branches have no fragrance. Rustralabata, sumac, the one for basketry, is, has a yellow flower at the tip, produces an orange berry that's edible, and again, it's very fragrant. When you split the wood, the stems, because what you gather is the suckers, the early growth of the plant. And it's very it's kind of skunky smell, so mm. it's very fragrant. Um, that's how you tell the difference. What, and so again, in the revival, it's been something that's been kind of slow to okay. bring back. But yeah, so it, I, I would take my hat off and say, you know, to the San Inez Chumash that we kind of made a little history and kind of get these ladies to start to bring it back again, and hopefully we're going to continue that stuff. What, what were some of the medicinal plants? Oh gosh, medicinal just, I mean, plants. I, I know there's a ton of them, but yeah, there's some of them more I'm, common. I, I know some, and I and I'm always careful talking about medicinal plants because you know I'm not a physician, and there are actually people. That's not my strong points. There are people who are herbalists, yeah. you know, and um, you know you need to be careful what you, you use. You don't have to talk about. That um, but to. yeah, but I mean, yeah, there's you know, um, salvia, Hispanica. I'm um, salvia, the the white sage. I mean, that's good for the lungs and and you know. And as an antimicrobial, uh, you can make a concoction out of that, like a little alcohol, sort of drink, some, you know, a little liquid out of it. But um, 
Yeah, there's still, there are people out there researching it, native people that I know, people who are, you know, trying to work with that. Um, but um, that we have like botanicas here among the Native American communities, not really, um, that I know of. I mean, some people might have their private family, you know, herbal use, whatever. Yeah. But, um, hmm. Yeah, but some a lot of those botanicas you can go in there, and they're like the Mexican botanicas, mm -hmm. and they're just as I mean, a lot of the local plants here that you can get a prescription yeah. as well. So wow, cool. But yeah, but that's not we do make some, we do make some salves and make some you know certain things with different plants, but again, for me, I don't really like to cover that much because that's not my sure. Strong yeah, point, yeah. You know? So you were talking about your cookbook. That you have. Yeah. I'm very interested in this because that's actually something I've been wanting to get into was using. Yeah. Well, um, Deborah Small, one of our collective members, um, did a, got a grant. She's a professor at, um, in um, San Marcos, recently retired, but she got a grant and she's just an excellent photographer. Oh, look, and you. she was able to. We came, it came about that we weren't really thinking about a cookbook. We ended up, we're just going to do like a storybook and end up saying, well, you know, we're always getting requests for recipes and so forth. So we ended up coming with this cookbook that's done real well. Um, Can I just read off some of the things I'm seeing yeah, in here? I'm yeah. seeing acorn bread. <clears throat> Ac uh, looks like you got acorn bread. Marinated yucca. Ooh, I like yucca. But that's the yucca flour. Flour. Yucca whippleye. Stinging nettle. You know, stinging jam, nettle is very good for you. Prickly pear. Tapere tart beans. Nepales tortillas. Whoa. Man. Look at you right there flipping Nepales tortillas. Nepales stir fry. Oh, this is amazing. I got to get one of these. Native. Wow. Mesquite and chia. It's all here. Yeah. Wow. You can order it online. I have some I copies here, but you can also order it online, hey. too. Um, can you get it on, on Amazon? Yeah. Okay. You can get it on Amazon. I have some copies here if you want it. Oh, great. Yeah, I would pick it up. But, um, but, yeah, that's sort of what we came about, and it's done real well. Um, Beautiful book. And um, yeah. we've been able to, yeah, Deborah does fabulous photos. She did it all, taught it all her life, so she, we got some more great photos in there. But yeah, that's um, something that's really come across really. I'm gonna nicely. try some. Yeah, yeah. These acorn, acorn bread. These the dumplings. acorn dumplings with venison stew. Yeah. Serious business, right there. Yeah. Well, I think this is it's so important because you know, like you were saying, is there's I feel like such a disconnection with our food nowadays because so much of it is processed. You go to the store, you buy some food, so you don't understand what goes into actually making the flour, or if you eat meat, you don't actually understand what goes into like hunting and killing an animal and preparing sure. it where at least a way to start is to understand what are the native foods for where you live and what you're actually putting in your body, I feel like. So even though you may not be going out and collecting the acorns and preparing it, you understand where it's coming from, what it's doing for you, like the history of it, like the intention behind eating something that is local to where you live as opposed to just like, oh, I went to the store and I bought this and processed bread and, and I ate it and that's yeah. it. You know, there's some actual thought process behind what you're putting in your body. And also, I feel like it kind of connects you back to the land a bit more. There's something about the work you put into your food. Yeah. yeah. It's something yeah. that makes it very re rewarding when it takes you time to find the ingredients and actually make it and make enough to get you through. There's something, there's something very, your body get, almost gives rewarding. back. rewarding. Yeah. You know, we encourage people, instead of going your basic um, 
grocery store, go to ethnic markets. Mm. Ethnic markets are amazing. Yeah. Asian markets, Middle yes. Eastern market. You know, we have so many here in Southern California. Yeah. Go to your local local Northgate. Go to your local, um, you know, Super King or your other Asian market stuff. Whatever. That's a field trip alone, and yeah. it's out. Yes. Yep. And um, you find a lot of these products. We always encourage that because you'll find some of these foods. You can actually get acorn flour in Korean markets. Not as tasty as the one that we use here. It's more jello. It's more very starchy. Mm -hmm. But you can find a form of acorn flour at Korean markets. Interesting. Um, and you'll be able to get a little taste depending on how you prepare it. And that's when we're hard up for acorn. Sometimes we'll do that. we got a little workshop, something to do. Um, but, um, but, yeah, it's just um, they're always good resources for us to, to kind of explore. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we're not going to hunt and gather, but you're going to go out there and kind of hunt and gather on these <laughs> ethnic markets. Well, it's similar. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. We, were, we were talking about that concept of almost look, going to stores with like the concept of foraging, but a modern day foraging in a store. Yeah. So you're only buying things that are in season, or yeah. if you're able yeah. to, are organic, or yeah. no, whatever un, the thing is that you are kind of foraging to find yeah. that good food within your local market. I mean, look at these, vet, just the vegetable section in these Vietnamese markets. Right? Oh, amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. All these different flavors and fruits and things that you're, I've never, never seen, seen that in my that. life. <laughs> I'm going, how do you cook this? You know, it's just, it's amazing, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you know? Well, that's so important to see kind of, I feel like in the past years have been this reemergence of farmer's markets becoming important again. And I thought it was really cool here in California. I don't know if they still do it for a while. The EBT cards Basically, your money went further if you used them at farmers markets yeah. with it. So I don't know if they would put so many more cents to the dollar if you spend it at farmers market, but it encouraged people to go to farmers markets. That makes sense. And then you're eating local. You're, yeah. You are eating things that are in season because it has to be yeah. at that point because it's grown locally. You know, and just because you mentioned that, I think it's important. We kind of shout out about this: is that accessibility and you know funding, financial status of people. Um, I think that's just a big, I think that's something that we can't overlook yeah. because there's a lot of people who can't, don't have the money to go and buy. Because, you know, we when we first started, oh, do this, get that. I'm, Deborah, yeah. for example, she's really, you know, she's a professional, she was financially stable. She oh, tell me, they need to eat organic, eat organic. Deborah, not everybody can or, offer, can buy organic food. It's mm -hmm. more expensive. Yeah. When you have six kids to feed, you know, you're gonna go out and buy yourself the big old cup of um, those soup, those soups, those those cup, cup of soup of noodles, things, whatever. Yeah. And we know that's toxic poison, right? Yep. We know yeah. that. Yeah. But for ten bucks, you can buy a case. You feed that to your kids, a little top of tea, a little lemon in there. You're covered. You fed your kids. Yeah. You're, po you're poisoning them, but that's all what they can afford. So it's kind of like, okay, how do we how do we change this? How do we switch this? How do we get people to yeah. sort of, but. The finance, yeah, that's like, I mean, I'm glad to hear about the EBT going to farmer's market stuff, whatever, but it's just trying to get people to that. I started learning, not everybody. And you know what? Mm. And I think, too, we never really had, if you think about it, education about how to eat. We each eat however our families eat. And that's I've your read, education. And I've yeah. had people who grew up on hamburger helper yeah, and don't know how to cook. Yeah. Because their parents would make hamburger apple or macaroni and cheese and stuff, whatever. I never understand this. Why is it that you go to a American barbecue and the adults get the steak and salad and all this good food 
and the kids get the macaroni and cheese or hot dog. <laughs> hot dog. Hot right? dog. Yeah. It's like, Lips why are we giving these kids, yeah. the kids who are, are growing, who need the nutrition, who yeah. need the nutrition, is, and we're giving them crap. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. I don't get, that's, I was, I was questioning is that, wait a minute, it's like, we should be eating the hot dogs and the, and the macaroni and cheese, and we should be giving the kids the, the steak and the, the good nutrition foods because they have a whole way to grow. Yeah. So again, it's changing those attitudes around. You know, it's yeah. like, how how can our our government leaders look at just walk into a Seven Eleven or something and see that soda is cheaper than water? Yeah, what what well, is that? And that that's sugar <laughs> company, sugar companies, it's crazy, sugar company. oh, huge lobbying, and also that brings up the thing of, of food deserts within the yeah. city that you don't yeah. have a good grocery store. You have Seven Elevens, you have liquor stores, but you don't have a place where you could go buy vegetables easily accessible, yeah. and then. You're right. You have a you have a large family. You work all day. You're going to go home and prepare a huge meal with after buying all these vegetables, or are you going to get something that can quickly feed your kids so they're not hungry when you're like you know pushed to the limit like that. Yeah. And then how it just you know I'll give an example. I've been in Mexico City a number of times, and you'll see McDonald's, a line of people waiting to go into McDonald's because they see it. It's American. It's good. It's supposed to be this superfood. It's stigma. It's like. That's the thing, but it's like a status. Yeah. It's like, I can eat at McDonald's. It's an experience. Yeah, you know? And it's like, they don't really know what we know, that it's junk food, you know? Mm-hmm. Or you go to Pizza Hut is a big one, too. I mean, Mexico has its obesity problem, too. Oh, yeah. And it's like, but they, but these foods that come that we held, that we bring down there, the Kentucky Fried Chicken or whatever, that's like status. It's like, I can feed my family with this. And it's like, but we're not going to eat the tacos anymore, but we're going to have the pizza. You know, yeah. I, and what are we doing? We're poisoning. We're poisoning ourselves. I think I just read somewhere that Mexico just passed a law that children aren't allowed to buy candy under a cert, certain age. I don't know if it's eight. It might be eighteen. If they're they're no longer allowed to buy candy with out, out a parent or something. I believe it was Mexico. Hmm. Is that's a that's a huge step? Yeah. Well, so or down. under a certain age. So I don't know about yeah, Mexico, but I mean, you know, it's just. I mean, you can't it's just. Yeah, I'm, I go to Mexican market and you can I'm trying. You can't. It's very hard to find a sugar-free drink. Oh, yeah. they, because, they give you a free... Yeah. They, there's a Mexican market by my house that I go to and get car, carne asada tacos for everyone when I have pe- people over. And they give you two free... Uh, uh, Cokes? The large Bottle. bottles yeah. of yeah. soda. Yeah. Free. Yeah. Every, yeah. So every person Amazing. that spins over like 40 bucks gets two large Fantas or, yeah. or, or Cokes. And it's yeah. like everybody's... Leaving with these, and their kids are all happy, and yeah. they're drinking food coloring and corn syrup yeah. and just garbage. Well, you know, and we were talking a bit earlier, just of you know the what you learn when you were when you're young sticks with you. So you know, I'll look at some of my younger cousins. You know, they'll be all just like super hyper on sugar, and then they won't want to eat anything else. And then because their parents want them to calm down or like get out of their hair, they'll give them candy. Yeah. But then it's this instilled from a young age of this addictive personality of like, well, I need sugar. So you're not going to want to eat an acorn or a mesquite bean yeah. or something because you're not used to natural sweetness, yeah. natural, true natural flavors. You're going to yeah. eat these processed sugars that are addicting or things yeah. like, I remember growing up how much I loved Taco Bell. My mom would never let me eat Taco Bell. But when I was with my grandpa, he'd let me eat Taco Bell. But it was the flavor of it. There's like this addictive quality to these things that yeah. isn't natural. It's good. It's good. Yeah. It's like it, it, your taste buds are like, you know, high on yeah. it, but it's because they're adding all these chemically engineered yeah. things to it to make you want more. Yeah. You know, the other thing we've identified, I kind of figured we've identified, getting people back in the kitchen. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's, I mean, we can, I can talk to my face turns blue about all these foods, whatever, 
But who has the time right now to crack acorns? And that's one thing we find out, you know, go out and gather, go out and crack this, whatever. We hope, we're trying, we, we're pushing for that. But let alone get them and make these homemade foods. You can easily go to your local grocery store and buy a ready-made dinner. You go to Costco, you got your pizza to go, mm-hmm. you know, and there you're home and you're set, you're covered. Yeah. For dinner that night. What do you just feed them? Or you go buy find this ready-made dinner with a chicken and the whole thing, whatever, mashed potatoes, the whole thing, whatever. Okay, you're well, covered that night. But what did, what are you feeding your family? Hell knows what you put in it. Yeah, but then you have time to watch three hours of TV. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I don't know, because I'm guilty of this. Like, uh, you know, I, I work pretty long days lately since the start of this. I've been fortunate to work. But by the time I get home... I'm spent. I don't want to cook. So yeah. the other night I was like, you know what? I'm going to make a ton of food. So I've, you know, so I spent an hour and a half making curry. Yeah. And then by the end of it, I was like, I had like half an hour to eat it. Then I was like, oh, I need to go to bed because like I get up early the next day. So it's kind of draining yeah. where you get caught in this thing of like, oh, I don't have time. But, but that's get, a system. I mean, that's yeah. just the way our life is yeah. today. That's yeah. the way we I, function here. So I, I mean, I understand that, you know. I try to, to, I try to make a bunch of food on Sundays. Yeah, yeah. And, and that'll that'll get get That's me through idea. to like yeah. Thursday. Yeah. Normally, you kind of get tired by Thursday. You're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> the rest of the rice is kind of dried out. Yeah. By Thursday. <laughs> like, okay, but I'm gonna eat it. But yeah. I'm gonna eat it. It might still be good. Stick of those starving children. I better <laughs> yeah, eat it. Yeah. You know, I mean. Yeah, but that's 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 one thing I've kind of we, we I kind of ran into just kind of like here I'm preaching these people about the stuff and it's like, but they got two jobs, they got this, and, and they, you know, and and it's like what's easier, you know? Like I said, they don't have money, they don't have time, and those are all the things. But I'm I'm hoping by you know spreading this word about this information, these foods, you know, these sustainable food sources, that um, that we need to start looking into that. We have no choice. Yeah. We have no choice. Well, right now, I think especially as humans, we have this spotlight put on onto our health. The, there's a lot of unhealthy people right now that are living every single day with this virus, worried that they're going to die because they're unhealthy. And, and there's a great ch- there's a good chance that they put themselves there by eating. Yeah. And so I think we're, we're experiencing a global awakening on, on health and, and people do have extra time right now because a lot of people are working from home and people do have time to look through their their computer, their phone to research where they can buy things. There's there's some really good on online stores out out there now like thrive.com and I just found another one the other, other day was good. But all their organic stuff is three to four dollars cheaper than whole, whole foods. So there's yeah. there's starting to become these these direct to to consumer organic companies that w- you can find things cheaper that you can make in bulk and it won't if you can make food in you know meal meal prep you can save a lot of money if you're trying to eat organic ready made food just stop <laughs> go to yeah. McDonald's because that stuff is no good I looked through the frozen section at my local. Uh, uh, grocery store the other day which they are 90 percent organic they're they're awesome and i tried to find some frozen vegetables there was these frozen already cut uh sweet potato fries Mm because i have one of those air air fryers those things work great and i'm looking at them i'm like oh great these are organic these these are organic and then i look at the label on the back and the second ingredient is fucking canola oil and I threw them back. It's not org- like it's or- there's organic canola oil. Is that a real thing? It's made of like eight different flowers and seeds and yeah. plants, and it's processed and heated like six times. 
Canola oil is one of the worst things you can possibly eat. Yeah. Inflammatory. So just because it says organic, you have to look at the ingredients. You have to look for those those for palm oil. You have to look for canola oil and stay away from that shit. Take it home. Use use uh, co- coconut oil, avocado oil, olive oil at low temps. And you can buy this stuff in bulk at Costco pretty cheap now. A yeah. lot, yeah. lot of or, or organic Coconut stuff. Oil's I can get a you can get a nowadays. huge bag of ba- basmati rice at at, at Costco for like twenty. Dude, 20 I've had one for like bucks. the past like two or three years. I'm still using it. It'll last, it'll last good, you forever. <laughs> you get a huge thing of all olive oil there, or, or organic. I think it's like fifteen bucks, and it, it'll last you and an, another person two, three, three months easy. So there's. It's that's what we're talking about the modern day foraging through yeah. grocery stores yeah. and where you can find the best deals on this stuff and feed your family as organic as possible. Yeah. You know, interesting that uh, at the reservation with our nutritionist we work with, she was kind of she was telling us that you're almost better off using lard. Yes. Then all these other oils, you have no idea what the hell is in there. Absolutely. Hmm, okay. I've I've been kind of leaning that way on 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 my milks, but then I started I turned because because I started drinking or, organic chocolate milk after long bike bike rides because I'll do like fifty mile bike bike rides and it, it's one of the best re- recovery drinks that that you you can drink. So I'm like I started looking at the ingredients on almond milk. And there's like 15 ingredients oh, in yeah. there. I'm like, it's what the just fuck is this? Xanthum, all this weird shit. I'm like, wait a minute. I did find this new almond milk called, it's called almond milk. It's M-A-L-K. Oh, yeah. M-A-L-K. It's in a plastic bottle. I don't like that. But it, it, uh, it only has like five ingredients. And then, but I, was, I started drinking regular milk and I noticed I started to get very muc- mucusy. I started to get mu- mucus. So I don't think milk is that great for me. But going back to the the lard, it's some of these raw animal products and good animal products are fine for us if it's from a good source. Yeah, and you're not overdoing yeah, it, of yeah, course. Yeah. But again, you were talking about, and not to dunk because I've had this before. People said talking about the almond milk, and we, we were just saying earlier about almond milk. I mean, what are they doing? They're making, they're growing so many almonds. They're making milk out of it. They're just stirring up you know, ground up like, almonds in like, the water. Uh, yeah. Well, I thought you know, I mean, Cells. so yeah, I mean. <laughs> That's an and again and not a sustainable food source. I mean, my sympathy goes out to those almond growers and stuff, yeah. whatever. You know, I don't sure. want to bash them or anything, whatever. But, but again, really, it's like well, I thought they were just eat almonds, but now you're making milk out of it. You know? Well, they so, they, they if you if you Google how they pet pestis, how they spray pesticides on almond trees, they they have these tractors with these two huge like fan mechanism yeah, things that I've just go down the lines and just mm, spray poison yeah. all yeah. along these long lines of all, almond trees. So if your almond is not organic, I don't know exactly. I would like to talk to someone that really knows about pesticides and what type of pesticide they use for organic because I know they still use one. So I don't really know and I don't really I don't believe that there is an organic almond. Yeah, I don't believe I don't that there that. is an organic soybean. Yeah. I don't believe that there's an organic corn. There's just not. There are people up to making more money. They're just gonna it's about money, it. and it's the sale. government right. covers it. They don't. There's, it's good. It's good for business. It's organic. Yeah. Good whatever. for business. It's organic. Yeah. It's, it's got enough. When I pick up a bag of frozen stuff and it's got canola oil in it, how's that organic? It's, I, don't, I don't think it's possible to make organic can, canola. I don't oil. buy organic. I choose not to buy organic. Really? I don't buy organic. 
Interesting. I just, I go, whatever, I go to my markets and do whatever, and I'm just, and so far, so good. I'm 62, and so far, so good. Yeah. You know, but I don't, I don't, I, I don't know. I just, I'm a little, fish, I'm a little skeptical about it. Hmm. I think it's just a way to make more, get you to buy something. I mean, I go to farmer's markets, mm-hmm. you know, and if it's available, I'm going to buy organic, right? I mean, yeah. I'm going to get it, but I'm not going to. Go out of your way for it. I got on my way. Well, it's an interesting thing. for me, my choice. Yeah, because sure. I think what you were saying earlier is like, if you're trying to buy already made meals, processed food that says organic, as opposed to just like vegetables that aren't organic, maybe you'd still be better off just going vegetables that are not organic because at least you're not getting all this extra shit, like all this canola oil and stuff that's in this already processed food as opposed to just buying the vegetables, washing it. Yeah, it's still going to have pesticides in it and stuff. But I mean, that's the hardest thing, right? None of us know. For sure. Well, look, well, when I we mean, gather mesquite... People know well, glyphosate. When we gather these foods, like we gather mesquite recently, and the only... So the concern is you're supposed to gather so many feet off the road because, mm-hmm. you know, the exhaust stuff, whatever. And um, so I've got in there, and there's sometimes you'll find a great mesquite tree right next to the road. It's in the desert, which is good, but, I mean, we're gathering mesquite there, and I see all this traffic... So um, I'm assuming it's organic. I'm hoping it's organic. It's supposed to be organic. It's growing out there, but it is next to the highway. Um, that's where I get my organic food, you know, yeah. stuff that I gathered from the from nature, wild, if you want to call it, um, is where I'm going to get my some of my organics, you know. And like I said, if I can, if I if I see something, I'll buy it. It's organic, whatever. But um, but you know. Yeah, I mean, to gather your own, growing, growing your own. Well, you know, after right now, after COVID, didn't a lot of, wasn't that a big thing? A lot of people grew their gardens. Yeah. That was yeah. like a big movement, yeah. which was good. That yeah. was a good that, thing. That's really the best way, especially well, spring for people, time, perfect especially time. for people in these warm climates. You can be growing food all year long. I just planted all my, all my different lettuces. I, I just planted broccoli. I planted, I planted spinach. Um, I planted some Brussels, Brussels sprouts. We have a bunch of herbs. And then in the summer, we, we plant all kinds of summer goods. You know, I've just planted new, new kale. And you, there's, there's great or, or organic uh, uh, fertilizers out, out there. Uh, Jim's Worm Farm has a great one. It's worm worm castings. Works super good. Mm-hmm. And, and then there's there's another one that I use that's called uh ooh. Um I should know this one. It comes it comes in a black bottle. I'll I'll, I'll try to list it in the, in the show notes, but it's really good. It's organic. A lot of guys use it on on their on their like cannabis farms and and if you when you use it on your herbs tomatoes they just they explode it's it's amazing so there's there's plenty of ways for us to grow especially leafy greens are really easy herbs are really easy and when most many americans live in apartments i mean it makes it a little more complicated exactly but there are some nice little creative little pots and things that you can get and little garden you know things that you can put on an apartment for apartment life yeah because um, we kind of ran into that too with native foods. Oh, girl, could we try to encourage people to grow their own? We're growing your own, growing your own. Found out, well, people come, well, I live in an apartment. I've been living in an apartment for 20 years and I don't have property to build, you know, yeah. whatever. It's like, oh, okay. Well, I guess I can't really well, allow you to well, grow your well, own because you're living in an apartment. That's, that's where our, our communities need to get together with local landowners and have com- community gardens. 
where you can there's there's a lot there's certain places where you can rent a little gar, yeah. garden space for twenty five bucks a month. Yeah, well, there's more popping up. I've been seeing some like South Central. I've been seeing a bunch pop up, of course, yeah. around in San Francisco. Yeah. That is Bay. a good movement. That is yeah. a good movement. That's amazing, amazing, yeah. amazing. Yeah, movement. But not everybody has access to it, though. Too, there is yeah. some effort you got to put into that, and you get so there's waiting lists and so forth. I mean, it's a great idea. We just yeah. need more land, right? Yeah, at least we yeah, need more of that, which is hard to come by. But right. um, <laughs> we need yeah. more land. Land that's not contaminated. Yeah, there's a lot of that. Yeah, but yeah, huh. well, great. Man, well, think. Well, do you have like a website or anything to check we out? Don't. For? We don't. We're, we're just grassroots folks, and actually, we've, which is really nice. We've got a lot of attention. We've got a lot of. Um, I'll be talking if anybody's interested to hear not talk. I'll be doing a thing for the Natural History Museum oh. um, for teachers on June, um, December 9th. A few weeks. That's my birthday. And um, we'll be doing there talking. It's just pretty much. Which is really nice is there's been a lot of people, a lot of interest. Um, we're hoping to just, like I said, we're we're not chefs. We're not cooks. We, we like to cook Rome, but it's just kind of, we kind of do take the education route and just educating people. I mean, my opportunity to come here and speak with you guys was hopefully that we can just kind of plant that seed in certain individuals, the youth especially, and maybe they can come up with ideas on how to, we can start starting a milling process of, you know, a, a mesquite milling process yeah. business sort of thing. I'm definitely pushing for Native Americans, you know, to work, take that, for example. Um, so it's just kind of like I said, we just want to plant more seeds out there um, where people can kind of start thinking about this because these are things like I'm not going to go out and start a farm and milling farm, whatever, I mean, honestly speaking. But I think my involvement with these people and other people that I've met, professionals in this, Gary and and Richard, that wow! I was I've been listening. You know, I go to the lectures and they listen until they're talking. I'm saying, shoot, this is important what they're talking about. I mean, this is you know, there's a um, just another thing in the in the south in the Midwest. There's a grass that the Apaches would eat called sacaton, and they would gather that. Grows wild. They would gather that. And there's another very interesting one I heard about. It's called nipa grass. Nipa grass. And the natives out of it would grow like in the deltas where the river, Colorado River drains into. Okay. So here you got areas with bad soil. It gets 110 degrees, 20 degrees. And they had this grass that produces this super nutritional seed food source. So I'm like, okay, I get it. So it's like, why don't we farm these? This grass, you know, it's kind of what Gary and, and, and Richard is kind of talking about. It's like, these are foods that we need to start thinking about. Mm -hmm. that what's what's it called again? Nipa grass. Nipa grass? Nipa. Look him up. Um, Richard Felger. Amazing, amazing. How do you spell grass. that? Uh, F-E-L-G-E-R is his last name. No, no, no the, the grass. Or Nipa. N-I-P-A, I believe. Nipa grass. But that's just one of the researches that Richard was talking about. Um, when I was talking about the palm from Washington, the palm and stuff, whatever. But so it's like, you guys, we have these foods available here, and they're, it's just how are we going to start processing or growing them and help sustain our people, you know, as an extra food source, and how are we going to get people to eat them? We play more of the role. Chicka Fay plays the role in how to get you to eat it. That's what we've been doing. This is the kind of the role we've taken. It's like, okay, I told you about mesquite flour. You want to try it? 
I can show you how to cook it. You know, maybe try how to get the adaptive flavor for it. I can tell you that it's hard to find, but like anything, if there's a demand, hopefully there'll be more of it available. Um, was kind of like what we'd like to. That's what Chica Fe is kind of taking the role as, just educating, preaching yeah. the word. It's great. Yeah, it's know, a great message. Just, yeah, it's amazing. It's out there for the youth. You want to start get your business degree or whatever, your agriculture degree or whatever. Well, this is somewhere you may want to start looking for. Like I said, I've said it over and over and over. We have no choice. We have to start thinking about these food sources. We, I mean, this shipping of all this food from all over the world and stuff, whatever. And yeah, it's great, but I mean, when well, we have this here, yeah, you know, nopales. You know, get people to eat nopales. You know, it's just I'm gonna start eating it. Yeah, just yeah. getting people to to learn how to utilize them and develop a flavor for them. Sure. All right. Yeah. All right. All right, Abe. Thank you very Abe, much. Thanks for you. coming here. Sure. That's great. Great talk. Very, very informative. I'm, yeah. I'm ha happy we did this. Yeah. Same. Right. Yeah, let's do it again soon. Good. Yeah. All right. Thanks. All right. All right. See you soon.